and this is Pastor Daniel McGee with Connection Church in New York City. Thank you for listening to our church's weekly podcast. We hope God uses this sermon to encourage you and to increase your faith in Him. If you'd like to know more about our church, please check out our website at ConnectionNYC.com or like us on Facebook at ConnectionNYC. Grace and peace be with you. Genesis 41. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile, and behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them, and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke. And he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing up on, one, up on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled. And he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If this is your first time with us over the last four weeks, we have been in the middle of a series entitled Dreamer, God at Work. We have seen the beginning of this man Joseph's journey into the court of Pharaoh. Joseph started out a few weeks ago as a 17-year-old boy thrown into the pit by his brothers and left for dead. He rose quickly to prominence in Potiphar, a rich man's house, until he was framed by Potiphar's wife and sent down again into prison this time. While he was in prison, we saw last week that God gave him a gift to interpret the dreams of a cupbearer and a baker in the court of Pharaoh. And after they got out, when the dreams were found to be correctly interpreted, Joseph said, don't forget me. I'm down here in prison. Please don't forget me. And we pick it up with those first few words that Katie just read for us. After two whole years. Now for us, it's just a couple verses. The story ends, the cupbearer went out, And then it picks back up in the next verse. After two whole years. But think about that for a second. Two whole years. Joseph, sitting in the prison, having interpreted these dreams, can you imagine hearing footsteps coming down every day, thinking, this is is my salvation. It's the cupbearer. He has returned to tell me, my dream was correctly interpreted. You can come into Pharaoh's court now. And time and time again, he was disappointed. Well, last week, Daniel showed us how to see from Scripture that you are not forgotten. Tonight, we're going to pick up this story, and I'm going to read through a large chunk of Scripture, and I want you to find yourself 
in the mind of Joseph? What would you be thinking after all these things have happened? At the end of this account that I'll read here, Joseph, we'll see, is 30 years old. So 13 years have transpired, the vast majority of which Joseph has spent in the pit or in the prison. And tonight, he rises to the palace. So listen as I read from God's Word. I'm going to continue where Katie left off. It won't be on the screen for you. Just listen as the Word of God is read. Verse 9 says, Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night. He and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. And there was a young Hebrew there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each one according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Then, Joseph, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I was standing on the banks of the Nile, And he repeats the dream about the seven fat cows being eaten by the seven skinny cows and the seven healthy pieces of grain being eaten by the starved ones. And he says, I told this to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. So Joseph says to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he, God, is about to do. The seven cows are seven years and the, good, the, the seven good cows are seven years. And the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams, again, are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years. And the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh. God has shown to Pharaoh what God is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them will arise seven years of great famine. And all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown to the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dreams means that this thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Now therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning a wise man, and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of these good years that is coming in and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it there. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that occur in the land 
to follow so that the land of Egypt may not perish through the famine. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all of this, there is none so discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it in Joseph's hand. And he clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, Bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up a hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphoneth Paneah. And he gave him in marriage to Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Now Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly, and he gathered up the food of the seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt, and he put the food in the cities. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance, like the sand of the sea, until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. And before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Aseneth, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph said, Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in my affliction. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come, just as Joseph had said. There was famine in all lands, but in the land of Egypt, there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famine was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said to the Egyptians, Go to Joseph. What he says to you, do. So, when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, and finally, all the earth came to Egypt, to Joseph, to buy grain, because the famine was severe over the whole earth. Church, tonight, we will see that Satan uses the test of success to corrupt our hearts into thinking that we have actually earned the favor that we have been given. Satan uses the test of success to corrupt us into thinking we actually earned that success and that favor. Have you seen that to be true in your own life? Maybe you got a promotion at a job 
Or maybe you scored well on a test. Maybe you finally met the one. Maybe you had children after being barren for so long. And each of these steps you had prayed and begged God for. You had surrounded yourself with people who are praying for you. And when the moment of success came, you quickly forgot God. Maybe empty praise, thank you God for this. But were you tempted to praise yourself? I want to invite my friend Renata up. She is going to share a story with us about the first point of the sermon tonight. So the first point here on the screen, get, you can get your pen out. There's a fill in the blank there. The first point is, when you are faced with the test of success, go public with your dependence on God. Renata, tell us about a time when you received a promotion. Actually, a new job. Sorry, not a promotion. I just mentioned promotion in the sermon. So, uh, as many of you know, uh, I was working in a very rough job uh, for a very long time. Uh, Ten-hour days, the expectation of being on all the time, and it was grinding me down, and um, my family and my church family were very faithful to pray for me. I perhaps less faithfully, but more desperately, was praying myself. Um, And um, a couple months ago, three months ago, I got a new job, and it's a great job for me um, in many ways. The culture of it, the the hours, and I felt felt like I was in a very dark place, and uh, I came to a much lighter place. Um, And despite... All of that prayer and um, all of the times I desperately begged God, please help me move on. I think this job might actually be killing me. (laughs) Um, Even after all that, a couple weeks ago, I was enjoying uh, the company of some of my coworkers. And I was thinking, man, I really scored. I did good. Um... Which, of course, um, and I didn't even think about it at first. At first, all I could think of, uh, at first, I I just let that thought pass by. I thought, I did good. I mean, my resume was killer. I fought really hard. You know, yay, me. And um, then it sort of hit me, like a a truck a little bit. But um, also, it just hit me that I was taking credit for something that, I had no right to take credit for. Yeah, I had a good resume, but one of the things that happened during my job search was that uh, a coworker that was amazing with these sorts of things, just out of the blue when I was feeling extra desperate, came to me and said, I will help you with this. I'll help you. And um, one, of, one of the two Christian coworkers I had at the time, and um, I was reminded in this, um, of uh, I looked up the reference just a moment ago and wrote it down. First um, Peter two nine b, um, uh, which is one of my favorite verses of, uh, that asks of us to to sing the praises of Him who calls us out of darkness and into His marvelous light. Mm. And I 
that sort of filled me up and I remember that I was in darkness and I was pulled into light by God and um, that's who deserves the credit. Amen. Thank you for sharing. So, Renata shared that. Here's a short plug for Connect Groups in our Connect Group this past Monday. And the next day, uh, I went to the office, or I actually went to a coffee shop to continue preparing for the sermon, and the first point came out. Go public with your dependence on God. You can put that up again if you want, uh, Blake. Go public with your dependence on God. And I was thinking, in our presence there in the Connect Group, Renata had sort of reprimanded herself, saying, man, I missed the chance. I realized I was taking credit. But what I was thinking when I heard it, and then when I saw this point, was that, sure, she may have had the thought to not go public with her dependence on God, to think that it was her that did it. But the point is, that thought was fleeting, right? If you remember from a few weeks ago, Bobby was up here on stage doing curls, and we were talking about resisting temptations. Um, This is similar. Renata had a fleeting thought to take credit for something God had done, some some success that she had been given, she had, she had been tempted to jump into receiving and even looking for praise for herself. Yet, she resisted that temptation. And not only did she resist that temptation at once, she continued resisting it and even shared with her local community, who we had prayed with her for that for so long, she shared her dependence on God. So, church, when you face success— Remember, just like Joseph did, it's in verse uh, 16, Genesis 41, 16. You can put that on the screen. Genesis 41, 16. Joseph answers Pharaoh, if you remember, right when Pharaoh brings him in, right? He's no, uh, Pharaoh's never met this guy. In 30 minutes' time, he's going to be in charge of everything that he has. But before that happens, he says, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Joseph makes it clear from the start. Pharaoh says, I heard you are a great interpreter of dreams. Joseph says, hold on. God is the one who will interpret this dream. With the, you know, you can kind of hear it in his voice, though. Yeah, that's right. You're going to get your dream interpreted. But just to be clear, God is the one who's doing this. This is important because it reminds us of that temptation that I said at the beginning. Satan is going to use this test of success to try to corrupt our hearts into thinking that we have actually earned this favor. So out in front, Joseph says, I don't want to be tempted to think that this is my success that I earned. So let me say up front, God is the one who's going to interpret this dream. God is the one. Number one, go public with your dependence on God. Number two is this. When you are faced with the test of success, leverage what you have for others. So you heard the story, now sandwiched in there, we're going to go all the way to the end, to Genesis chapter 41, verse 53 through 57. Leverage what you have for others. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end. And then, I'll read it from here. And the seven years of famine began to come as Joseph had said. There was famine in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was what? Bread. We had bread. 
When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph, what he says to you do. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in that land. And moreover, who came? All the earth came to Egypt, to Joseph, to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all the earth. Can you imagine this taking place today? Some country has some wise interpreter of dreams who eight years out says, in eight years, we're going to have a great famine. In fact, this famine is going to go all over the earth. And very quickly, people are going to be coming to our doorstep. So here's what we should do. We should store up enough grain, put them in each of our cities. It'll be plenty for all of us. Can you imagine that nation following through in eight years, instead of just feeding their own people, they begin opening the doors and feeding others who are hungry. Joseph knew that when he rose to success in Pharaoh's court by the hand of God, he had a great responsibility. His responsibility wasn't simply to make public his dependence on God like point one. His responsibility was to others. His responsibility was to leverage this wisdom that God had given him, leverage these physical commodities he was about to store up for the good of others. We benefit from God's provision, so we leverage this blessing for the benefit of others. You see, all the earth was provided food because God provided and Joseph leveraged it for others. Instead of this illustration that you all have, who are regulars here at Connection have heard me say a few times during the giving portion of our service that my dad taught me when I was a kid and I teach my kids now. This idea that when we are given something by God, we get to take that thing with both hands, receive it, and then close our hands and hold it for ourselves. This thought, this way of functioning is anti-gospel. It is against the word of God. God doesn't say, I'm going to give to you so that you can store it up for yourself and make yourself great. God teaches in the way that he gave Jesus, in the way that he gives here to the land of Egypt by way of Joseph. He teaches throughout all the scriptures that when I, God, am going to provide for you, you will receive this with open hands and leave the hands open so that when I decide it's time to take some of that and give it to someone else, you're ready to part with it. We must remember in times of success that God has blessed us not just for our own benefit, before the benefit of those around us. Sometimes those people are very close to us, right? The first people that Joseph used this to bless was his fellow Egyptians. I mean, consider Joseph being a selfish person. He may have just said, well, this is for the king and his court. So when the people came from all of Egypt, he could have turned them away and used it for the officials, right? Um, rewind back to when Potiphar had lifted Joseph up high in his court, and there was a sin committed against Potiphar's wife. 
when I preached that, I talked about how the, the difference in the consequence of sin is, uh, the consequence of sin is adjusted based on someone's social status, right? The illustration I gave was if, if someone called in a death threat to the police against me, that would be cause for some concern, and they would probably look into it a tiny bit. But if someone called in a death threat to the President of the United States, it's the same call, a death threat. But the status of one of us is much greater than the other. So the punishment will be much greater, right? Something similar could happen here. We, uh, Joseph, could say, listen, people have needs, but we need to make sure that the people who are in high status are taken care of first. So this grain is really just for the city officials in each city that took the hard work to store it up. But he doesn't do that. He takes all that he has been given by God and he opens the storehouses. He lets the floodgates open and the grain flows. Teaser for in a few weeks, this is actually how Joseph runs back into his brothers who originally sold him into slavery years earlier. So, number one, when you are faced with the test of success, go public with your dependence on God. Number two, leverage what you have been given for others. In the kingdom of the world, leverage is about catapulting yourself at the expense of others. I want to make my status higher. I want to excel in my career. I want to use this person over here to edify me, to lift me up, right? That's the kingdom of the world. In the kingdom of God, though, leverage is using the things that God has given you to catapult others. When you start to analyze the blessings that God has given you, start thinking about them differently. Instead of things that are good for you, think of them as things that are meant to lift up others. Leverage what you have for others. Amos 24, in one of the minor prophets, um, the minor prophets, we, we preached through these a few years ago at Connection Church, and they have the same theme, right? <clears throat> that God says, I am going to wipe out everyone. And then God says, here's how I'm going to save everyone. And in Amos chapter 5, verse 24, um, Amos records God saying, I will let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. When waters cascade down a mountain, they don't do so picking and choosing which way to go. When the waters come falling off of Niagara Falls, they take out everything in its path. God says, when I start raining justice down, it'll be like waters falling down off of a cliff. And everyone who is within reach will be made right. Justice will come when when the church leverages what they have for others. Point three. Remember where you came from and know where you are. Remember where you came from and know where you are. Genesis chapter 41, verse 50 and 52. Let's look back a few verses. Listen to what the writer says. Before the year of famine came, 
two sons were born to Joseph. This is kind of a big moment for Joseph, right? Can you just imagine for a moment all that he's been through from the year of, from the time he was 17 to now? He's in his 30s now, but when he came into Pharaoh's court, it had been 13 years. Man, he had been in prisons. He had been elevated high. He had been in the pit. He had been riding on hope for two years that the, the cupbearer would remember his name. He had been through an, an emotional and a physical journey and roller coaster. And now God blesses him with children. Can you imagine the joy that he must have felt? And listen to what he does. In verse 51, Joseph calls the name of the firstborn Manasseh. He uses this success, this gift, this blessing of God to do what? For he said, Manasseh means, God has made me forget all my hardship and my father's house. He remembered where he came from. And this verse 52, the name of the second son he called Ephraim. For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. He remembered where he came from, and at the same time, he knew where he was. When we are successful, it is vital that we do not lose touch with where we came from. At the same time, we have to remember that God is the one who has placed us right where you are. You kind of, you, you hear this in our society often. Um, you'll hear it with, like a, with a sports star or a famous actor or actress when they receive an honor and uh, they'll get the microphone, they'll get an opportunity to speak and they'll say, you know, I, ju- I just remember, I want to remember where I came from, I want to remember my mom and how she um, worked three jobs as a single mother to put me and my kids through school I want to make sure and remember I give back to the community. You see uh, pictures of people going and um, helping out things. Uh, my favorite sports star, Tim Duncan, he had a chance to do this just recently. He remembered where he came from. His home island of St. Croix was decimated by Hurricane Maria after it had just barely missed Hurricane Irma. And he remembered where he came from. He went there. He sent truckloads, chartered planes to take supplies. Why do we think that there's, why, why is there this need that we have to remember where we came from. It's because we are called to leverage what we have for others. And those others that are most closely on our mind are the ones that we know, our family, our friends. So even if your location has changed, your blessing is still for others. Tim Duncan lives in San Antonio, Texas now. He set up a life there. He has a wife. He has children of his own. But when something happens far away in his land, he says, listen, this blessing that I have been given is not just for me. It's for others. Now, Tim Duncan is not a Christian. He's actually a Buddhist. But this way of thinking is a biblical principle that as Christians, we must employ in our lives to remember where we came from. Joseph does that with the name of his child, and then eventually he'll do that by providing for his family in the coming weeks. We'll learn about that. But it's not only important to remember where he came from, it's also important to know exactly where you are. This land, Egypt, which might seem kind of attractive to Joseph at this point, he makes sure to remember to name his child and raise his child by remembering 
This is a land of affliction. I did not come to this land voluntarily. I was brought here against my will, and God has blessed me in it. He's praising God for bringing him out of his affliction and into blessing. We have a responsibility. Success is an opportunity for temptation to creep in. It corrupts our heart. It can corrupt our heart into thinking that we have earned this favor or this success, just like Renata shared a moment ago. That thought, man, I did so well. Look what I did. But if we go public with our dependence on God, if we leverage what we have for others, and if we remember where we came from and we know where we are, then instead of being a way to corrupt our hearts, success can be something that God guides us through for the benefit of others. Several years, several generations after Joseph comes Jesus. Jesus goes public with his dependence on God multiple times throughout the gospel. But especially at the cross. He uses his dying breath to proclaim that he is from God. In the moment when he could have come down off the cross like he was beckoned to do, like he was tempted to do, he stayed. He leveraged his sonship, right? This benefit that he has been given. My sons were arguing. If you ever want to know what pastor's kids argue about, it's always holy, and it's always um, worthy of mentioning a sermon. This week, specifically, uh, today in the car, they were arguing about whether Jesus was God or man. It was fun to answer that one. So uh, one of them said, no, he was man, and the other one said, no, he's definitely God. And I said, the worst answer you can say to two kids arguing or two people arguing is, you're both right, and here's why. God, but Jesus used this sonship, right? That he is God. He used that blessing, that benefit, for the good of the world. He used it for salvation. He remembered where he came from. The kingdom of God. In fact, he talked about where he came from, his whole ministry. He would say, listen, the kingdom of God is not like this. The kingdom of God is like this. He would show them the Pharisees and uh, the Greeks of the day. You think the kingdom of God is this, but listen, the kingdom of God is really this. He showed them how it was upside down. Remember when he got on his knees and washed the feet of the disciples? showing them that leadership is not about stepping on top of people, it's about getting underneath them and serving them. He remembered this from when he was taught by his Father in heaven. This is how my kingdom works. And he knew where he was. He knew he wanted humanity to join him. Because Jesus leveraged what he had for others and he remembered where he came from and remember he knew where he was he provided a way for us to have salvation when you find yourself in the midst of success whatever it is if it's getting a new job like Renata talked about if it's a conversation I had with a friend this week who was asking me you know how I got into some of the business that I got into I had the same temptation that Renata had I wanted to say well you know I, I worked hard I didn't slack off. But at the end of the day, it comes down to just the complete blessing of God that I was sitting across from 
Emily Lawler here in our church, who's now Emily Wojcikowski. And she just said, hey, do you want a job on my company? And I said, yes. I didn't pursue it. So I had an opportunity to tell this guy who's not a Christian, man, God just placed this opportunity right in my lap. It was a good test on the week that I was preaching about going public with your dependence on God. It was an opportunity. When you find yourself in those opportunities, let God guide your success. Knowing that when you let him guide your success, it maximizes the result of the blessing you have been given. How many people would be helped, would have been helped, had Joseph kept the storehouse doors closed? What if, what if he had only helped, held them open <clears throat> for a certain ethnic group? What if he had only held them open for the high-class citizens in the cities? What if he had only held them open for Pharaoh and his closest friends and family? Right? When we hold the blessings that we have been given, the successes that God has given us close to our chest, we are robbing God of the opportunity to bless others. And listen, God will not be robbed. He will bless others. He just won't use you and I to do it when we hold the things that we have been given close to our chest. So tonight, remember that Jesus has become the one who showed the way of his people into success. He gave us not only a good character example of how to handle it with humility and with grace, but he also gave us specific ways that we can give God the glory when we are successful. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace. You have been overwhelmingly good to us, even those of us in the room right now who might be feeling dejected or disappointed or beaten down. God, you have been good to us by showing us your love in that we have breath in our lungs, in that we are here now hearing your truth God, so many others have so little. So I pray that tonight, first, we would recognize this great gift that you have given us, your word and your son. And I pray that we would respond by letting you guide us in our earthly successes so that we can be a testimony, a witness to the world that God's kingdom is different than man's. And in every way that it is different, it is holy and righteous. And it benefits all who are within reach. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.